Now this question is specifically about the risk and reward of playing at loose tables early in tournaments. If you raise small, everyone's gonna call you. Well, I would ask, is that actually such a bad thing? What are we really trying to accomplish with our pre-flop raise? I agree it can be very frustrating when your normal strategy does not work. That is when we need to switch it up. Raise your standard amount with your entire you know, range of raising hands, understanding that you'll have multiple callers many times. Well, greetings everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and this is episode 72 already. So if you're brand new to the podcast, I know we've been growing in listenership. I would want to welcome you to go back, listen to some of the old episodes. We've done a lot of strategy, a lot of hand history, and for a period we did a lot of interviews with uh, some local pros and some national pros. So I'd welcome you to go back and look at those either on your app, however you're getting your your podcast now, or you can go to the Running Aces website. They're all out there as well, including the descriptions. That's at runaces.com slash poker. Today we are going to look at pre-flop bet sizing when you have a loose table. So that's something that we encounter quite a bit in the lower buy-in tournaments, a lot of the weekly tournaments. So I think this is a good, a good subject to address today. So we'll get feedback today from Jonathan Little with PokerCoaching.com, as well as a few other recreational players, Taylor Moss, Rob Washam, and Andy Kaplan. A couple of quick announcements. First of all, uh, I've been convinced to play the Millionaire Maker out at the WSOP uh, this summer. Uh, this is a $1,500 buy-in. It's a bracelet event. I'm playing a lot of the daily 235s and some other dailies out there, but uh, I was convinced to go for the Millionaire Maker. Got a number of investors to support me in that. I do have 15% remaining available. I'm selling 5% chunks for 80 bucks each, so I've got three of those available. If you're interested, hit me up. Also, patches. Uh, we're starting to see the patches go out the door. We're starting to see some pictures online. So if you want to wear a Rec Poker patch, I would appreciate that greatly. Get the word out about what we're doing. This week, we had pictures uh, playing with the patches from Tony Sanchez and John Vensky. Uh, so that's great. Thank you guys for putting those out there. Also, we had a winner's photo. Uh, Chad McVean uh, posted a photo of himself with the patch. Uh, in a winner's photo. So he is now entered into the $50 drawing. We'll do one of those quarterly. So anybody that posts a picture wearing the patch or having the patch uh, in a winner's photo <clears throat> uh, will be entered into that quarterly drawing for 50 bucks. Otherwise, just wear it, take pictures, tag us uh, on Twitter or Facebook. That would be great. I know patches have gone out to a number of players. Jordan Thompson, Nancy Patterson, Chad McVean, John Vensky, Chris Hall, Tony Sanchez, Steve Olson, Alberto Briones Mraz, Taylor Moss, Stacey Nelson, John Somsky, Brian Morey, Seth Erickson, and probably others that I'm not even aware took patches. So thanks to all you guys for doing that. Uh, also, uh, one more announcement. Uh, for those of you who are going out to Las Vegas this summer to play in the World Series or do some other things out there, if you are a U.S. military veteran, one of our listeners, George Sanford, wanted to make sure that you were aware that there are cards that you can get that will give you great discounts and great deals on things like parking and shows and some other stuff. For example, all MGM properties, you can get complimentary self-parking and other Pearl-level benefits. Uh, you can get free valet service at Planet Hollywood. 
and it automatically covers your spouse also. They must also apply for the card, but uh, your veteran uh, status uh, will also cover your spouse. You need to bring some proof of your, your serving, your DD-214 or your VA card, uh, but that's a great benefit that George just wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of. So thank you, George, for, for that, and uh, good luck out there this summer. Okay, let's give a quick thanks to our official sponsor, Running Aces, and then we'll come back. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Okay, so pre-flop bet sizing at a loose table. Now this is my question, so I really don't have any more more answers uh, than I do have questions. This is one that I've struggled with a bit, and so I'm looking forward to uh, what Jonathan and the Rec players are going to say about this. But in, in prior episodes, we've talked about bet sizing to open pots, including the potential of varying the size based on the stage of the tournament, our position, and adjusting for limpers. Now this question is specifically about the risk and reward of playing at loose tables early in tournaments. In many of the weekly tournaments that I play, which are $100 or less, I, I often raise to 2.5 to 3.5 big blinds, which invites 4 to 5 calls most of the time. Uh, and in order to successfully steal the blinds, or even to get the heads up post-flop, I would need to raise to 5 or 6 big blinds or more. But raising to that amount seems like an extreme amount of risk for the reward of just picking up one and a half big blinds if everyone folds. So in these situations, I'm wondering what is the optimal strategy? So let's say I'm in early to mid position. I'm under the gun plus one with pocket nines. And we are basically sitting at the 10,000 starting chip stack with blinds at 2550. So we've got 200 big blinds, first level of the tournament, 10,000 chips. It's too early to have dead reads on everyone, but I expected to play like most of these tournaments with a bet of 200 not accomplishing much at all, or getting it down to three or four players minimum. Because of the high risk, low reward, I'm wondering if this is a spot to just limp, even though I hate open limping. My rationale here is that if I'm going to basically be set mining in a multi-way pot, and if I hit a set, I'm likely going to get paid, I might as well enter the pot as cheaply as possible. And if there's a raise after me, I could consider 3-betting against certain opponents, or at least to isolate them. Another option would be to just raise to my standard preferred size of 2.5 to 3 times the big blind, and then try to navigate a multi-way pot. The other option would be to raise large, say to 400, for a chance to win 75 chips, or get heads up with someone and try to outflop them, or outplay them. And so then I just ask people, okay, what are your thoughts on that? So... You know, the question sort of addresses my thoughts already, but um, in addition to that, I, I would say that I've gone back and forth in strategies, and this is why I'm wrestling with this so much. From a strategy of seeing as many flops as possible for as cheap as possible with good speculative holdings, um, and so in this strategy, I would often join the limping parade. Just limp with pocket fives, limp with 10-8 suited, uh, limp with ace-2 suited, um, that sort of thing. So I would just join the limping thing, see as many flops as possible, and then just fold unless I really connect in a big way. So I've done that as one strategy. I've also taken the other extreme where I'm only playing premium hands at these levels and I'm playing them aggressively and raising a lot. 
Uh, I've also played with the strategy of just doing my standard thing with my normal opening range and then trying to navigate my way through multi-way pots post-flop, uh, which can be super tricky, especially if I end up being out of position. Uh, and more recently, I've been doing sort of a combination of playing premium hands only in early position and playing them pretty aggressively. And then in the later positions, with more speculative hands being more passive in, uh, in terms of opening and limping and just calling behind. Uh, and so, you know, I'm really struggling a little bit with what is optimal. Uh, and maybe there is no optimal, but how do I adjust? How do I account for uh, the different ways that these can be played, the different tables? Um, so I'm, I'm sort of honing in on my strategy, but I need some help thinking about this at a high level uh, strategically uh, from some of these other players. I definitely want to get into hands early because there's so many mistakes that are made, but I also don't want to be just pilfering away chips with hands that could have negative implied odds. Or what I find myself is I, you know, I get married to pocket sevens. I rage with pocket sevens, get four callers. The flop is 10-4-3 rainbow. And, and you know, somebody makes a bet and, you know, I've got second pair. So I, I call and I end up, you know, calling a couple streets and I either have to fold or, or I lose at showdown and I lose 10 to 20% of my stack early in a tournament with, with a very marginal hand. So, you know, the question was really, um, you know, how do I think about these things? Hopefully we'll get some, some good insights, not just that one specific scenario with pocket nines, but what are the theories behind these things? So I really look forward to hearing from the recs. And if you have any thoughts on this, feel free to put them out there on Facebook or Twitter. Or if you want to be part of the group of, of players that are sending me audio clips, uh, shoot me an email, stevefredland at gmail.com or mention mention me on Twitter or something and we'll connect and maybe there's a way that we can get you involved as well because I think uh, the more input we get, uh, the more we all learn uh, from each other. So with that, let's hear from Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com and then after that we'll take a quick break to hear from Running Aces and come back and close with thoughts from our recreational players, Taylor Moss, Rob Washam, and Andy Kaplan. Hello everyone, this is Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com and Today's question is basically, in the small stakes games, people raise bigger. And in general, whenever you raise to a quote-unquote normal size, like 2.5 to 3.5 big blinds, you'll get a lot of callers. Now, the question is, is that necessarily a bad thing? Um, the question posed was, say you have under the gun plus one with pocket nines. If you raise small, everyone's going to call you. Well, I would ask, is that actually such a bad thing? If you raise to something like 150 at 2550 and get seven callers, and the flop comes king queen four, you just check fold. Say it comes 862. Well, you have an overpair, that's pretty good, but you're gonna have to play intelligently. And I think what happens to a lot of people is they simply do not know how to play very well after the flop. And this happens to even a lot of good players because there aren't really a ton of um, programs to use to try to figure out how aggressively you should be fighting for these very multi-way pots. But imagine you raise and five people call you with your pocket nines. If you win this pot one in five times, you're going to profit, right? Or one in six times because there's six players in the pot. And it's not that hard to win one in six times with pocket nines. You're probably going to win like 23% of the time or something like that. Also, when you make a set, you're going to be way more likely to get paid off if you have five players in the pot as opposed to one. Also, early in the tournament, winning the blinds is not actually that relevant because it's a tiny increase to your stack. So that's also not a big deal. You may think that if you make it, let's say, six big blinds, maybe you'll get only one caller, then you can play from there. The problem, though, is that when you make it so big, 
your opponents are gonna start calling you with mostly pretty good hands. And you'd much rather take nines against a wide range of garbage than a tight range of premium hands. So making a smaller raise will accomplish that. I think what it really amounts to though is that you have to become okay with losing pots. From commentating a lot of small stakes games, it seems very clear that most people want to either play for no money or for all of their money, and that's it. They're not really concerned with fighting for small pots and not really playing for all their money. They're not comfortable with losing 25% of their stack in a hand. They would rather lose all of it or none of it. And that's just something you have to deal with. Also, the other question was, well, what, what if we have nines? Well, nines is one of the very specific hands that would often like to either get heads up or see it really multi-way. That said, you often don't want to necessarily play your specific hand. You want to play your whole range. So imagine you have eight, seven suited. You'd certainly like to have five callers because that's just a very clear implied odds hand. Same thing if you have ace X suited. Just a very clear implied odds hands. You're trying to make the nut flush or two pair. Um, when you have aces, you know, maybe you think you'd like to make your opponents fold, but anything they fold whenever you have aces is just drawing really, really thin. And you definitely want to keep your opponent in when they're drawing thin. So the answer to this question is you have to learn how to play well after the flop. You have to be able to put in some money and then still fold, or you have to be able to just know when to check fold. Like say the flop comes 10, 8, 4, and you have your pocket nines. If you bet and someone raises, you need to be folding. If you check and someone bets and someone calls, you need to be folding. And I think a lot of people end up sticking around far too long with marginal made hands that they feel somewhat committed to. So don't fall into that trap either. Really, this is a, a very big question that I, I've written books about. <laughs> um, I have one book, Strategies for Beating Small Stakes Poker Tournaments, that might be very beneficial for people asking this question or having thoughts about this question. And in another one of my books, Jonathan Little on Live No Limit Cash Games, I go in depth as to why you should not make big raises. And really, the, the short answer is big raises force your opponents to play well. And you win money at poker when your opponents play poorly. So you don't want to make plays that make your opponents play well. And typically, big raises force them to be a little bit tighter. Now, if they will call a big raise with all sorts of junk anyway, like say you can make it. 15 big blinds and they're going to call you every single time. You're going to get multiple callers. Or say there's even one really bad player at your table who calls every single time. Well, maybe you do want to consider making it very big with those hand, with your best hands, but you're doing that purely for value. And maybe you want to be min-raising with your suited connected type hands or suited aces because you'd rather keep the pot small. That assumes, though, that that player is atrocious. And in today's games, I'm not really encountering too many players who are actually that atrocious. And... Without a lot of experience against your specific opponent, you probably should not blindly assume that either. So those are my thoughts. Hopefully they're helpful, and I'll talk to you next time. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Greetings, Rec Poker listeners. This is Taylor Moss. Today we're talking specifically about pre-flop bet sizing when we're at a loose table. Uh, and another part of this question really gets into uh, when we're in the early stages of a tournament and a lot of people tend to call. Um, so the first thing that I think about when I read the question and all the detail behind it is 
what are we really trying to accomplish with our pre-flop raise? And I think the biggest thing to consider here is that we're not trying to steal the blinds. Um, we're essentially playing this like a cash game where if we have a plus EV hand, or a hand that expects to make us value when we play it, we want to play it and we want to put money into the pot. And if we think about it, uh, in the example of having pocket nines, um, we should be in a fairly good spot. It's very likely that the people that only call behind us um, are less likely to win the hand. Uh, but we do have to realize with the more people that enter the pot, uh, we do lose a probability of winning the hand. So although um, our probability may go from, you know, 60-40 down to, you know, 40-30-30, uh, we're still gaining expected value when these player calls behind with a worse hand. So we're going to win less often, but it's still a better decision for us in the long run. Um, so I think the big thing to consider here is we're not we're not trying to steal the blinds we just want to get money into the middle and then be able to play our hand uh, efficiently and effectively when the flop comes and we do have the best of it another thing I think we need to consider is when our hand has high implied odds or hands that can flop very well um, so what I think about this is if we're playing a lot of hands, uh, you know, with three, four, five players, uh, hands that can flop flushes or straights go up in value because with that many people in the pot, um, high card or a top pair type hand is not going to win. A uh, low two pair value hand is likely not going to win. Uh, we're really looking for something with higher value, and that's what we're going to be going for. So those hands that can flop really well are also hands that kind of go up in value as we play these. So if we think about having a hundred big blind stack, uh, six seven suited can flop really well. And then as we progress into the later stages of the tournament, and we only have a twenty to twenty five big blind stack. Playing that 6-7 suited is not that great of a hand to have. Uh, we really lose a lot of our odds if we do hit the flop or turn really well with those kinds of hands. Um, so we need to be able to adjust our opening ranges and the hands that we're calling with depending on how many big blinds we have in our stack. Um, so a lot of this went a little off tangent. Uh, the original question uh, pertained to pre-flop bet sizing and should we be increasing what we're betting? And the only time I personally change my preflop bet sizing is dependent on what position I'm at at the table. So if I'm in early position, I'm more likely to raise in the two and a half to three times the big blind, and then that kind of shrinks as we get closer to the button where I'm very likely to only raise by two to two and a half times the big blind. Um, a lot of this will depend on what the table norm is, the stages of the tournament, and um, so the stages of the tournament I'm more likely to raise bigger when everyone has a big chip stack and smaller when everyone has a smaller chip stack. Um, table norm, I tend to stick with what people have normally been doing because it doesn't seem as fishy when we raise to a different amount. So if everyone's raising to 250 and then all of a sudden we raise to 300, you know, someone might 
think they know something about our hand or we might give some sort of information away about our hand. Um, so in terms of preflop bet sizing, I say just you know stick to your normal and uh, don't deviate from that if you're trying to get more people to fold or less you know those types of things it just it doesn't make sense in the long run this is rob washam for the rec poker podcast march 24th edition talking about pre-flop bet sizing at a loose table i agree it can be very frustrating when your normal strategy does not work that is when we need to switch it up here's an extreme example I played in a home game where the structure is such that with 18 to 24 players, the tournament would be complete in three to three and a half hours. For most of the players, this is their only exposure to poker at all. As such, there is a lot of limping and no hesitation to call a pre-flop raise with any two cards. They really want to see the flop because they don't know how good their hand is until they see the flop. Relative hand strength has no meaning. And I will see players call down to the river with ace high, regardless of the action throughout the hand. I played in this league for a number of years, and I did very poorly, finishing in the bottom in points. I knew I was a more knowledgeable player than most, and it was very frustrating. I finally developed a strategy I thought might work. I decided to limp with my entire opening range and look to trap the limpers and passive callers. If anyone showed aggression, I would get out of the way unless I held a monster. I ended up dominating the league that year and finished first place in points. I developed a strategy that worked specifically for that group of people. You won't normally see this level of player in a casino game, but in the early stages of a daily tournament, you will see some of the inexperienced players playing this way. I would try to gauge the level of players at the table to determine whether a limping trapping strategy would work better than our standard open raising strategy. Another strategy to consider is to construct open raising ranges and open limping ranges for the early levels of these tournaments when you're sitting on 100, say, to 200 big blinds. Take the range of hands you would normally open raise and break it into two groups. For example, pairs below jack would be in your limping range and jacks plus would be in your open raising range. Consider the same with suited connectors. Maybe 5, 6 to 10, 9 suited would be in your limping range and jack 10 suited and better would be in your open raising range. You could do something similar with broadways. Coming up with the right strategy will depend on the table dynamics. We've all been taught that open limping is a bad strategy, and that is true. In the early stages of these low buy-in weeklies, open limping may be the way to go. Talk to you next week. Hey, it's Andy Kaplan, Rec Poker player for the Rec Poker Podcast. Interesting situation this week. Um, I'll admit I've, I've struggled with this uh, quite often, and I love this specific example that Steve has with the, the pocket nines. My thoughts on the tournaments that typically I'm playing is early in the tournament uh, with a loose table, I'm not really trying to steal blinds just because it's not really happening. And if you're stealing the blinds, um, the effective stack sizes are so high early in the tournament, it doesn't really seem to make a difference. So um, I'm not really trying to steal blinds. That being said, 
you get in the situation where you've got like pocket nines. Um, I actually like Steve's option number two, which is really the standard play. Um, raise your standard amount with your entire you know range of raising hands, understanding that you'll have multiple callers many times. So you might want to adjust your opening range accordingly, um, based on the fact that you're going to get a lot of callers. But you're raising pre-flop. You're raising really for value and also to take control of the hand. Um, what this avoids is the possibility that um, you limp in. It encourages other people to limp in, and now you've got a late position player that's probably smart enough to know he's going to raise big. And when he raises big, now you're in a, a tight spot. You either need to fold a hand that flops well multi-way, or you're going to be stuck calling a big bet and possibly ending up with... Um, being heads up against a, a hand that you really would much rather play multi-way, a hand like pocket nines where you're really looking to flop a set. Um, in essence, you're going to be in a multi-way hand post-flop either way. You might as well have the advantage of being the pre-flop raiser in this situation and understand you're going to probably be playing multi-way and play accordingly. That's my thoughts. Sandy, thanks. Okay, so that's it for today. Thanks so much to Jonathan Little as well as our, our recreational players who gave feedback. Uh, hopefully this was a, an episode that, that y'all enjoyed. I know I'm going to be learning a lot from this. Make sure to tell other people about the Rec Poker Podcast. We continue to uh, break our own records each month, but we want to continue to see this grow. Uh, the more influence uh, that we get through our listenership, what that's going to do is it allows us then to attract um, others who might be willing to give input, some other big names uh, who are maybe willing to do that as we get a, a certain size of listenership. So the more that we can grow this thing, the more that we can get even better input, the more that we can become even better players and continue to grow the game and help us build confidence to move from the stakes that we're playing uh, to even higher stakes. So take a second, uh, like it, retweet it, whatever you want to do. Uh, let people know about what we're doing. If you want to wear a patch, we have both the adhesive as well as the sew-on patches. Let me know about that. If you're already wearing them, take your picture playing a tournament. And certainly, if you get posted in a picture of a, of a winner's picture, make sure you tag us on that and let me know about that so we can uh, get you in that drawing uh, for 50 bucks. And also, if you have any interest in, in uh, backing me in the Millionaire Maker, I've just got, got just a couple of pieces left. Um, feel free to reach out to me on that. Otherwise, any other feedback, topic suggestions, hand situations, uh, let us know through Facebook, uh, Twitter, or even email me, stevefredland at gmail.com. I'm getting a lot of great uh, hand scenarios coming in, a lot of great thoughts for future ideas, so appreciate the feedback. And if there's anything that you want us to see done different, please let me know because we don't know uh, unless we're told. So with that, I will chat with you next week.